Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. How you guys doing? Fantastic. Today we are wrapping up our series entitled, What Would Jesus Say? And as Luther uh, so well pointed out, uh, what an easy topic today. I mean, really? I mean, I mean the pre- how many of y'all, it just the whole idea that I'm talking about politics in church today, that makes a little bit uneasy. Let's be honest. All right, I get that. I see you, ma'am. Absolutely. How many of y'all? Uh, th- how many of y'all would say you are very excited about voting in this uh, year's election? Okay, yeah, there was no one first service, and I don't think I see anyone this service. Um, what would Jesus say? Uh, can we have a do-over? Um, I don't know. Uh, that's what I would say. Uh, and I, you know, I, I just want to say this. You know, this is not an emotionally neutral topic. Uh, I have been accused of being a Democrat. I've been accused of being a Republican. I've never been accused of being like a Tea Party person. Um, I don't know really what that means. Um, something about Boston and throwing tea in the harbor, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, I, you know, as we go through this, all of us have opinions when it comes to politics. Uh, there are some in here, you're Democrats, some are Republicans, some uh, you just really don't care. And uh, uh, it, the, the longer I live and as we go through life, the more I really feel like so many times we as Americans, we become polarized on different subjects, and um, uh, especially in this election year. Uh, because, uh, and I even mentioned this first service, as I was kind of processing through this, I actually had an idea of, okay, well, this is exactly what Jesus would say to Hillary. This is what Jesus would say to Donald. And I'd I let some of our leadership know uh, some of the things I was going to say. And they're like, yeah, I don't know if that's such a wise uh, choice. And uh, I want to listen to the people around me because sometimes I can be stupid. Um, so uh, as we're kind of processing through this, uh, I want to let you know that I'm not going to share my opinion today. You know, op- opinions are kind of like uh, armpits. Everybody has at least two, and they probably smell. Uh, and you did not come to hear in a, my opinion on anything. Uh, we're actually going to open up God's Word today, and we are going to see uh, what Jesus and what God would say uh, to uh, the once and future president, the once and future king. So uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up uh, to the book of Daniel. Uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament this morning, and it's going to Daniel is actually one of the prophets, uh, and uh, we're going to look at what uh, God told a king in the Old Testament, a king by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. So um, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, this guy was not a God follower. He was not a Christian, if you will. Uh, he uh, was uh, enemy to God's people. Uh, in a, in a, through most of his life, an enemy to God. Uh, and yet we're going to see that even though King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon comes and pretty much wipes out God's people and wipes out Jerusalem and wipes out Judaism, if you will, uh, we're going to see that God is in control of every one of those circumstances. So let me give you some context before we open it up to Daniel chapter 1. Uh, that God, he told his people, the Israelites, he said, listen, if you, if you obey me, if you obey my commands, then uh, it's going to go well for you. But if you do not, if you disobey my commands, then uh, I am going to allow a foreign invader to come in and be able to occupy, occupy your nation. Uh, they're going to raise you and destroy the capital. They're going to destroy the temple. And that is exactly what happened. In uh, 605 B.C., uh, we see uh, Nebuchadnezzar show up 
and actually uh, come and do some really bad things to Jerusalem. Eventually, in 586 B.C., the entire city is burned. Uh, God's temple is burned. And uh, we're going to see all of this happen against God's people. And yet, as we mentioned, we're going to see that God is in control. So the year 605 B.C., the megacity Babylon is the biggest city of its day up to this point. It's 500,000 people strong. There are 43 temples in the in the uh, city of Babylon, and pretty much all of them were going uh, and, and worshiping their god named Marduk, the, the Babylonian god. So Babylon was high-octane. Uh, Babylon was the center of the world power. It was the center of knowledge. It was the cultural hub of the day. It would be kind of like taking Wall Street and Harvard and Hollywood and Las Vegas and wrapping them up into one big city, and that would be Babylon. It was a place for the movers and shakers, uh, and Babylon was in modern-day Iraq as it is today. And the man of power, the guy who owns Babylon, is Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, some of you, you've heard, how many of y'all ever heard of the seven wonders of the world? Let me see your hands. Okay, one of the seven wonders of the world was uh, the hanging gardens of Babylon created by King Nebuchadnezzar. So in Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 1, we're going to dig into what uh, God has to say. In the third year that Jehoiakim was king of Judah, now that is the king of God's people, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon attacked Jerusalem and surrounded the city. And look what these next words say. The Lord let him what? capture the king Jehoiakim. The Lord let him capture the king of God's people. In the midst of a world that seems like God doesn't make any sense, the author, right off the bat, is saying God is in control. That none of this happened without God's controlling or God's knowledge. It says this, so Nebuchadnezzar took all of the things back to Babylon and put them in the treasure house of his God. And what happened was Nebuchadnezzar goes into God's temple Uh, goes into the temple in Jerusalem and steals some of the gold and bronze goblets. He steals some of the serving pieces that were there for God, all of this gold. In fact, it may have been that time where the Ark of the Covenant was taken. How many of y'all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Right? Really? Nobody? Come on, people. I mean, thank you very much. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, Netflix it. All right? Anyway, my point is, there pretty much Judaism goes out of business. That the religion of the Jews was they would go to the temple and they would sacrifice where they would receive forgiveness of their sins. And here what happens is that, that Nebuchadnezzar waltzes in, steals a bunch of the stuff, and eventually burns the temple. And if everybody, if you would ask, hey, who is the one true God at this time? Nobody would say Yahweh, the God of the Bible. No one would say the God of the Jews. They would all say Marduk because it was Marduk and Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar that came and conquered God's people. It says this in verse 2, The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon, Babylonia and placed them there in the treasure house of his God. And what's so amazing there is going back to verse 2, who gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over the Israelites? It was God. Nebuchadnezzar, yet the person in power, if you asked him, hey, who did all of this stuff? Who's the one who conquered Jerusalem? Nebuchadnezzar would say, it was me. It was my brilliance. It was all about me. And yet, he is unbeknownst to him, he does not realize that there is a God who is in charge. 
that he has not met yet. Here's our big idea today. That God is in control of who is in control. Can you say that with me? God is in control of who is in control. Some of us, we need reminder of that this election season. So let's say it one more time. God is in control. Very good. That the God of the universe, he is in control of our lives, and he is interested in every part of our life, not just our Sunday morning life. You see, God wasn't sleeping when whatever happened, whatever circumstance happened to you. Uh, And what we're going to see, in fact, we're going to read this. Let's go ahead and go to the next verse if we could. He took some of the prisoners back with him to the temple of his gods in Babylon and put the captured treasures in the temple storehouse. And among those chosen were Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all were whom were from the tribe of Judah. So what Nebuchadnezzar would do is he would go into Jerusalem, and he took the best and the brightest. He took the best musicians, the best doctors, the best philosophers, and he took them back to Babylon, and he assimilated them into Babylonian culture. He says, you know what? I, I, I know just not the best and the brightest are going to be in here in Babylon. They're going to be everywhere. So he would go and he would raise these towns. He would destroy them. He would burn them. But he would take the best and the brightest and he would assimilate them and thus raising the bar of Babylonian culture. And that's exactly what he did with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He stole these boys. He kidnapped them. Their parents were probably killed or burned. And yet you see Daniel... And his three friends, during the midst of their biggest crisis, and by the way, Daniel's probably just a teenager, maybe even a tweenager at this moment. He's probably 13 years old. And he gets carted off 500 miles away into Babylon. And there he's probably wondering, God, why have you forsaken us? God, why have you done this? Where is God? My life is so out of control. God, are you still in control? And the answer is yes. God is in control. God is in control. Some of you, you're here today, and your family is falling apart. And you're asking that same question. God, why? God, are you still in control? And God is whispering in your ear today, yes, I am still in control. Even in the midst of your pain, the midst of your greatest heartache, God is in control even when things seem to be flying off of the hinges. Some of you, you may be a middle schooler here, and you used to live in Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, and things were so good, and you had such close friends, but then your dad or your mom received orders to come to Fort Campbell. And you're like, you're just kind of angry, and you're frustrated, and you're thinking, what in the world? God, I left my friends there. But what you don't seem to understand is God is in control of your circumstances. That God is here, and the reason why God moved your family to Fort Campbell may have less to do with what your mom and dad, what God is doing through them, but what he's wanting to do through you as a middle schooler. That God is wanting you to show up, and God to be able to show out in so many different ways so that you can change that middle school here. That God is in control of even those difficult circumstances that you're struggling with right now. For some of you, you're wondering, God, when are you going to show up? And is God in control? And the answer, he is in control. And Daniel asked that same question, that God is in control of every detail of our life. And that really is, in so many different ways, the big overarching theme of the book of Daniel, that God is sovereign. That's just a churchy word by saying that God is in control. Can you say that? God is in, one more term, God is in control. And if you would have asked Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, are you in power? Are you in control? He'd, he'd grab his bootstraps or his what do you call, suspenders. He'd say, I am the man. I am the person in control. 
But really, God is in control of who is in control. And again, let me get political here. Uh, you and I should vote. You should vote. But whoever gets in the White House, get this, God is in control. Whether a, a Republican gets it or a Democrat or a donkey or an elephant or whatever, God is in control of who is in control. And God is ultimately the one calling the shots. And this is where I think so many Christians, we go a little, we just get a little crazy. Right? Because some of us, we just, we, I mean, we just, we, we just like, if, if, if Hillary gets in or if Donald gets in, you know, if Donald says something and what, what's Putin going to do and Hillary gets in, what's going to happen to emails and all of these big questions, right? We're thinking, you know, that, I mean, things are going to go bad if any one of them gets in there and dogs are going to befriend cats and it's just going to get crazy. You need to settle down, all right? Because you need to, you need a reminder today that God, is ultimately in charge. That God is in control of who is in control. So Nebuchadnezzar not only takes the gold from the temple, but steals these three young boys. And again, if you were to ask Nebuchadnezzar who is in control, he'd say, I'm the man. And he starts changing that tune when we get to Daniel chapter 4. So if you, if you have your Bibles or go on the Bible app, go to Daniel chapter 4. And uh, again, if you were to ask the average person in the world that day, hey, who is the God, the one true God, they would not say Yahweh of the Bible. They would say Marduk of the Babylonians because of the hostile takeover that Nebuchadnezzar led. The religion, their way of life for the Jews is pretty much destroyed because of the hostile takeover of King Nebuchadnezzar. And again, he's thinking, I am the man. King Neb is thinking, I, I am in control. And what we're going to learn in Daniel chapter 4, he learns a hard lesson that Nebuchadnezzar is not in control. That God is, a, is in control of who's in control. So let me tell you, Daniel chapter 4, things are going well for King Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, his life is good. And Daniel and his three friends, they're part of this professional wise guys. These wise men, some people call them magi. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But Nebuchadnezzar has this dream one night that really does rock his world. And this is where our story begins in Daniel chapter 4. Now get this, it's not going to be on your screen, but in Daniel chapter 4 verse 1, even though Daniel is writing this book, it is actually King Nebuchadnezzar who is writing this chapter. So King Nebuchadnezzar is writing this chapter and he's explaining what has happened to him. So uh, this is kind of his confession. It says this, I... Nebuchadnezzar was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me what? How many of y'all, you've ever had a dream that made you afraid? All right? All right, absolutely. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and nobody could really interpret it until Daniel showed up and said, you know what, I can tell you what God is trying to tell you through this dream. Now, again, at this point, the Bible wasn't really written. Uh, we have God's words, the 66 books. We don't need dreams to be able to, for God to tell us what to do. But at this point, there was no completed Bible. So Daniel and God used Daniel's, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams to kind of give him direction. And Daniel starts interpreting the dream. And this is what happened in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. There's this giant tree that King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of. Under this tree, all different kinds of animals of the world came to live and rest and find shade under this great tree. They had plenty to eat, they had, plenty of, uh, they had shelter, they had water. This tree provided for them with an abundance of everything, and the whole world was at peace. But in the midst of this dream comes a loud voice which simply says, Cut down the tree. And in this dream, the tree begins to be sawn. And it starts 
creaking and then falling over. And then the voice says, scatter the animals. And the animals scatter. And then the chain, a chain was placed over the stump so that the, the tree really couldn't grow. And at the end of the dream, this is what the voice says in verse 17. The decision is announced to the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that, and this is what's so applicable to all of us, the living may know. How many of y'all are living today? Some of you, all right, it's not everybody raise their hands. All right? you might, if no, the person next to you did not raise their hand, you need to goose them in the side really hard. You have my permission. All right, good. Um, that the living may know, that's us, we're the living, that the Most High, can you say Most High? That the Most High is sovereign. Again, that's a kind of a, a complicated word. It just means that God is in control. The Most High, God, is in control over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. Now, this is quite a proclamation to someone like King Nebuchadnezzar who thinks that he is in control, that he is in charge. And he wakes up in this dream and he is just terrified. He's mortified. So Daniel comes and interprets the dream. And in chapter, in chapter 4, verse 24, this is what Daniel says. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree that the Most High has issued against you. Wow. And this is so hard for us to grasp, but I love these words, the Most High. High. You see, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they had a god. It was Marduk. And they believed in that god, and they didn't believe in the god of the Bible, Yahweh. But Daniel refers to his god as the Most High. So here is Daniel, who's a slave, whose nation has been defeated, and whose religion has been wiped out. Here's Daniel, whom God, God seems like, has defeated and the temple destroyed. That Daniel looks at the most powerful man in the world, and he says, there is a Most High, and you're not it. And Marduk is not it. And the Most High, Yahweh, He has sent a message to you that this is going to happen. Verse 25, you will be driven away from the people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you to acknowledge, here it is again, that the what? That the Most High is what? What does that mean? He's in control. That God is in control of who is in control over the kingdoms of men, and He gives them to anyone He wishes. You see, what Daniel is saying is this. Your kingdom will be restored to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, when you realize that heaven, not you, is in charge. That God is in control. This was a huge blow to King Neb's ego. He could have easily killed Daniel, and, 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 but that's not what happened. It just seems like Nebuchadnezzar just kind of wrote this advice off um, because he just kind of goes on doing whatever he wants to do. So Daniel has this conversation, this hard conversation with King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, King, if you would just bend your knee to God, if you would just be humble, if you would just not be so proud, if you wouldn't be so arrogant... If you would just acknowledge that there is a most high God and you're not him, and Marduk is not him, but it's the God of heaven, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, you can escape what's happening and what is prophesied in your dream. So Nebuchadnezzar, he listens to the interpretation, and he goes, eh, probably just had too much pizza. And he moved on. By the way, Persians, Babylonians had pizza. Next question. Twelve months later, verse 29, twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not 
the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. I mean, look at I, my, mighty, my majesty. I mean, he is ate up with it. How many of y'all, y'all know people like that? How many of you, you kin to people like that? I'm with you. All right? Some people, it just makes it all about them, doesn't it? And I tell you, it's so interesting. I like what Proverbs 16, 18 says. It says, pride comes before destruction and haughtiness before fall. You see, I think one of the biggest sins that we can have is arrogance and pride. I really do. And here, what we see Nebuchadnezzar, he is ate up with himself. He is saying, am I great or what? I mean, look at this marvelous city that I have done, I've I've accomplished. And while he is saying this, look at what happens in verse 31. As the words were still on his lips. It's like, am I... And it just kind of get caught. Anybody ever got like a choke, like a chicken bone, anybody like that? Fish bone? That's kind of what it is with King Neb. He He chokes on his own pride. He says, as the words were still on his lips, a voice came from heaven and said this, This is what is decreed to you, O king. Your royal authority has been what? Taken from you. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't take that from me. I am the king. You can't take my authority because I earned it. I did this myself and God is going TV time out. No, you didn't. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, the reason why you have authority, the reason why you think you're in charge, the reason why you came and you destroyed the temple and you actually took some of the... The reason why you think you've done all this, it wasn't you. I am in control. And this is the point of the entire conversation. You think you've done it yourself. I want you to recognize once and for all that the Most High is God, that He is in control over the kingdoms of the earth, including your kingdom, King Nebuchadnezzar, and I can give that kingdom to anybody I choose, God says. That God is in control of who is in control. And the reason that you have a kingship, the reason why you are Mr. Big Man on campus, is because I have allowed that to happen. Again, at this point, King Nebuchadnezzar hits head-on into our big idea. God is in control of who is in control. So God says to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to take away your leadership and to make a point that it wasn't yours to begin with. That I can take it and I can give it because I am the most high God. The story continues. Verse 32. You will be driven away from the people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times, which means seven years will pass for you until you acknowledge... That the most high is what? Sovereign, that in control over the kingdoms of men, and he does them whatever he wishes. It's like this keeps going repeating itself. Most high, sovereign, most high, sovereign. It's almost like God's trying to teach Nebuchadnezzar a lesson. It's almost like God is trying to teach you and I a lesson today. That the Bible says immediately Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. He lost his ever-loving mind. He lost his sanity. His officials came in, and this now once and glorious king is down on the ground acting like an animal. And suddenly the most powerful man in the world is howling at the moon and crawling on the ground and eating with his hands. He goes nuts. And apparently the people in the palace keep this secret for a while, but eventually the word gets out that Nebuchadnezzar, that he is off his rocker. So... 
I mean, it's just Nebuchadnezzar for the next seven years. I mean, he just does some weird things, and he, he's lost his mind. And over the, over the time, the story of Nebuchadnezzar begins to leak out that he is crazy until verse 34 happens. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he's writing this himself, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity restored. I mean, I could preach an entire sermon on that. You see, some of you, the biggest thing you need to do is you need to raise your eyes towards heaven and acknowledge that there is a God and you're not him. Because some of you have gone a little crazy. Again, I think we need a reminder this political season because we're focusing on donkeys and elephants and the person we need to be focusing on is the Most High. And because we're looking at each other and we're looking at D.C. and Washington to be able to fix our problems, our problems just keep on getting worse. We need to acknowledge that God is the Most High and He is in control, that God is in control of who is in control. And that's a reminder you and I need today. Because if Hillary gets in, God's in charge. If Trump gets in, God's in charge. If I get in, something has went horrifically wrong. Verse 34. I love this. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. And I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth, not just the Hebrew people, not just the Babylonian people, but all the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does whatever he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is so huge for us. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, there is a God and I'm not him. I'm not in charge. That God is in control. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just all those who walk in pride he is able to humble and there i'm sure when he got to that part all of king nebuchadnezzar's advisors said you're right because just seven minutes ago you were howling at the moon you were scratching fleas off yourself going oh and now your mind has been restored when you acknowledge that god is in control not you If God can do that to King Nebuchadnezzar, then the rest of us, we need to chew a little bit on this, and we need to eat a little bit of humble pie. This is pretty remarkable, but this pagan, unbelieving king, in this little parenthesis in history, that God, that pretty much put God out of business, that destroyed the temple, destroyed the Jews, destroyed Jerusalem, that God shows him and says, no, no, I'm not out of business. You see, I want to prove to the most powerful, the most arrogant, the most respected person in the world that I am in control. And the moral of this story, that the Most High God is sovereign. He's in control over the kingdoms of men. He gives them temporarily to anyone he wishes. That leadership, that all leadership is temporary, it's stewardship. And we are accountable. For those of you who have the courage to bow your knee to God, in spite of your power and your influence, that you recognize that the Most High God, that He is in control, and that He's giving you the ability, that yeah, you can make that money and you can close those deals, but it's really God who's giving you that ability. You see, I think that's the biggest struggle that most of us have when it comes to giving. Because we like, I ain't going to give that church or God my money. And God wants to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. See, that's your first problem. You still think it's yours. 
But you need to know who gave you the breath so that you could wake up on Monday morning and go and make that money. Who gave you the ability and the talents? And, and who, who, who was able to make sure that your car was running so that you could get to your job on Monday? You see, God is in control. That God gives everything. The, every good and perfect gift comes from above, who from the Father of lights, God's Word says. You see, suddenly, when we realize that it's not about me, that it's about God, that He is the Most High, that it's His money, His talent, His treasure, all of, his t- I mean, all of this stuff, we realize that I am accountable. It's not about me. I think that's so interesting. You see, your talent, your ability, your talent to raise money, your talent to be able to do that, comes from a God who has given that to you. That God is in control of who is in control. So I think, as we close, I think this is what Jesus would say to Hillary or Donald. Hillary, Donald, while it is true that you are accountable to the American people, that the American people are not your true source of ultimate accountability. Well, it's true that you must, you must answer to me. You must answer to me, not just the United States. That one day you will answer to a God who created you and gave you your opportunities. And yet, while you consult with leaders around the world, our hope is simply that you will not forget and consult with the creator of this world. That is, King Nebuchadnezzar once, rem- once was reminded that the Most High is sovereign and in charge over the kingdom's of the world, and he gives them what are your wishes because God is in control of who is in control. Let me give you a challenge before we close, and then we're going to pray. Um, simply, I want to say this if you have your Bible app at the very bottom, there is uh, a, a, a reading plan. It's a seven day reading plan, and it's entitled uh, Thriving in Babylon. And it's really the story of Daniel uh, in, in this really pagan, awful culture, and this whole idea that God is in control of who is in control. I just stole that from that reading plan. So I would encourage you to start that. You can go on there and you can say, I want to start that today. And over the next seven days, you can read how Daniel changed his Babylon. Uh, But I also want to say this. Uh, We're going to pray. Uh, and we're going to close and uh, with this prayer. And uh, so many times we, uh, as the American people, all we have a tendency to do is gripe and complain. And we're worried about this p- political candidate or this political candidate. And we need to do more praying and less complaining. You know, God says in Romans chapter 12 and in Romans chapter 13 that he puts authorities over us and we are to respect them. And we are to pray for them. So here's what I'm going to ask. is I'm going to ask all of us if we could just stand. And we're going to pray for Hillary and Donald. And we're going to pray for whoever the next president is. And that we're going to realize that God is in control of who is in control. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, that we can come here today. We thank you so much that we, all of us need this reminder that we're not calling the shots. Lord, all of us need a reminder that we're not the captain of our own destiny. We're not the, we're, we don't ha- hold fate in our hands. Lord, that it really is you. So God, I pray today. Lord, I pray, Lord, just as we need that reminder, Lord, I pray that these two political candidates would receive that reminder as well. That they would realize that God is in charge, that God is in control of who is in control. Lord, I pray for Hillary. I pray for Donald. Lord, I pray that they would both be able to speak truth and love. And whoever becomes the leader here in the United States, Lord, that we acknowledge that the leader of us is you, Jesus Christ. It's the King of kings. 
He is the Lord of lords. And we will follow and worship you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Guys, we're going to sing this last song. It's called Trust It All. It's a great song. And I think, especially during this political season, this is our reminder that we're going to need. Uh, I think all of us are. So we're going to sing about half of this song, and you're going to be dismissed uh, so that we can get you out on time. But let's all, uh, let's all sing this together.